So here's the thing, this word that I've got today is a very profound word. It's gonna change your life forever. I don't wanna waste any time, let's jump right in. This is part four of four of our series, I Love My Church. And as we come to a conclusion of this series, this is the grand finale, and uh, God wants to do something in your life today. And so let me just share the Bible with you. Ephesians chapter 219 says this. And if you're taking notes, please, you know, there's two kinds of notes. There's what I teach, and then there's what the Holy Spirit reveals. Your notes should always have both of those in there. There's the, there's the scriptures and the things that Pastor Mike is teaching, but then there's the things the Holy Spirit is revealing while he's teaching. Because when you come up under a sermon, you're, this is not a TED Talk. You are, this is not a YouTube you know, uh, motivational speech. This is actually the kingdom of heaven being transmitted through the foolishness of words. And you will actually come up under a spirit of revelation, which is the Holy Spirit, that will transmit some information to you. And your notes should look like a journal between you and heaven. So when I say take notes, it's not listen to me talk. That's narcissism. It's let your heavenly father reveal because I'm just the messenger. Okay, how many of you are blessed by the teachings of this house? Okay, come on. Over five million people a month watch me teach the Bible. And that's, and, and, and that's more than just being good with words and eloquent. That's the anointing. That's revelation from heaven. And so here in our house, um, I wanna make sure that we get what God wants. In Ephesians chapter 2.19, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Look to the person next to you and say, you are, you're not a stranger. Come on, turn to the person on the other side of you and say, you're not a stranger. Come on, you are no longer a stranger. If you've accepted Christ, you are no longer a stranger, you're no longer an alien, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. <laughs> Come on, they don't believe you. <laughs> Why don't you turn to the other person on the other side, just tell them, no, 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 I'm a saint. Come on, somebody's wife just looked at their husband and said, no, you ain't. <laughs> Did you know that you are a saint? There are some religions that teach you to pray to the saints, but can I tell you, the Bible says it's appointed to every person to live and then to die, and those saints can't hear you when you pray to them, but there's something better than that. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and you have been made a saint, not because you're good, but because Jesus was perfect without spot or blemish. He was the good sacrifice that declared you are a saint when you've been washed by the blood. Somebody shout, I'm a saint. See? Now look at your wife again and just go, uh-huh. <laughs> now you might be a saint going through sanctification, but you're a saint. That's why this whole pray to the saints. Well, no, no, you pray because you are a saint. Matter of fact, most people, they don't know that they're a saint because to them, their Bible is like the terms of agreement that you scroll through it and you get to the end and click I agree even though you never read all of it. Do you still love me? But the reason why I know 
I'm not waiting for St. Peter to pray. He actually accomplished his mission, and now there's even greater generation rising up that have a greater anointing than Peter did because we go from glory to glory to glory. So why would I pray to Peter if God's doing greater in the latter than he did in the former? Okay, can I just move on? I love our church. We are, it's Ephesians chapter 2, 19 says this. It says, the household of God. The household, somebody say the household of God. The household, not the hotel, not the motel, not that thing that you check in and check out on Sunday. That's the building that we do, church, but the household of God. Sometimes you've got to learn how to unpack your luggage. You're not an orphan. You're not a slave. You're a son and a daughter. Sometimes you've got to learn to live here. So many pastors are worried about people leaving the church. No, no, I'm not worried about you leaving the church. I want to make sure that you unpack your clothes in the household of God. Stay here a while. Come on, live in this thing. There are three deep desires that you all have. Every single one of you have these three desires. And can I tell you that a Facebook ministry cannot fulfill these three desires? Can I tell you a book or a podcast cannot fulfill these three desires? And I want to go one step further because I'm feeling sassy today. Your favorite preacher, his sermons cannot fulfill these three desires. So a sermon, a podcast, a magazine, a book, a conference, a paraministry cannot fulfill these three desires. And I'm going to prove it through scripture. There's three desires you have that only the household of God, the family of God, only the local church can fulfill. It's this. Number one, you all have a desire in family to know, am I visible? Am I visible? Am I seen? Number two, Am I valuable? Do they care about me? Do they value me in this family? And then number three, am I victorious? Am I actually winning? Now let me break this down because it's possible to be visible but not be valuable in a family. Oh, I see you, I'm just ignoring you. I see you, I just don't like you. I see you but I don't have vision for your future. It's possible, possible to be visible but not valuable. It's also possible to be valuable but invisible. You're valuable, but nobody sees you. You're valuable, but you're hidden. In the house of God, the desire is that you would be in your own heart. God, do they see me at V1 Church? Do they value me at V1 Church? And then am I being victorious through the house of God? Can I just stop and tell you, you are visible at V1 Church. Our care pastors that serve across every single service they're looking out. They know your face. They know your family. They pray for your family. The connect group leaders, when, when you sign up for a connect group and you do church in circles, not just rows, they care for you. You're visible and you're valuable to them. And they want to help you become victorious. Amen. These three deep desires are within all of us. But I've been doing this this word study on stone. Because when you read Genesis through Revelation, you actually see the term stone over and over and over again, hundreds of times. There's so many references to stones. And I wanna show you what the Bible says about stones and how that pertains to you today. And this is gonna be a profound revelation because God wrote the law on stone tablets. So when God chose by his finger to write the law, the medium that he chose was stones. How many of you believe that God does everything on purpose and nothing by accident? 
He could have put the, the law on anything, but he chose stone. You know, this Jesus is referred to as the rock of our salvation and the chief cornerstone. He could have compared Jesus to anything, but Jesus was, cons- he was compared to the rock of our salvation and he's the chief cornerstone. As a matter of fact, it was a stone that had to be rolled away to reveal the resurrected Jesus. Joshua actually was commanded to take 12 large stones and place them throughout the wilderness as a remembrance of what God did in that place. It was stones that produce remembrance. And then Peter, who's a total failure, total screw up, God declares through Jesus You are part of the rock. Peter means a fragment of stone. And actually upon this rock, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. But why stone? Then you have precious stones like topaz and emerald and pearls and sapphires that are listed throughout the Bible. And these precious stones all have meaning of their own. In the Old Testament, the 12 different precious stones were used to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in the New Testament, these same stones are used symbolically now to describe how the new city of Jerusalem will be built. On a side note, I did two conferences this week, and one of the conferences I spoke at was in, uh, was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it's, you know, it was funny because when we went to the restaurant, they brought us our straws, and our straws were plastic. And my oldest daughter, Bella, was like, I am so thankful to be in Michigan. <laughs> Because here in New York, they give you this piece of cardboard called a straw. And it's this sadistic, cruel, evil thing they do. Because they know that you're going to take two sips through it and it's going to dissolve right in your mouth. And now anything that you're drinking immediately turns into some oatmeal taste and no sugar straw. And I said, somebody said, preach. And then I told my daughter, I said, well, because I wanted to see how much she understands about the world. I said, well, why do they have plastic straws in Michigan and they have uh, these, these, these you know, paper straws in New York? And she said, because they're all Christians in Michigan and they know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth anyways. <laughs> I was like, Bella, you've been dubbed Pastor Bella. <laughs> But in the New Testament, there's this talk of the the new city of Jerusalem and these 12 precious stones that are representative of it. And so stones have great significance in Scripture. And as a matter of fact, you need to get a revelation of of what a stone is and and God's reason because there's a covenant connected to stones. Number one, let's start with this. You are visible. Somebody say, I'm visible. Yeah, you just need to remind yourself, you are visible. Your pain is visible. Your purpose is visible. Come on, your calling is visible. It's all visible. Joshua chapter four, verse 20 says this, and those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. So they took 12 large stones out of the water and they set them up at Gilgal, this location. And he said to the people of Israel, hey, there's gonna come a time when your children ask you a question. They're going to ask you, what do those large, those 12 large stones represent? What do they mean? And then he said, then you will let your children know. See, the stones are going to provoke a question and you're going to have the answer ready to that question. So follow me because this is deep revelation. When they see the stones, the stones are going to make them curious and I'm giving you the answer. When they ask the question, you tell them, and this is what he says, Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. 
A miracle happened, the waters receded, and we were able to walk on dry ground. For the Lord your God dries up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Oh, I wish you heard me. See, the Jordan represented the impossible transition from mediocrity to the miraculous. The Jordan represent the impossible transition from poverty to multi-generational wealth. The Jordan River was something they could not cross in their own ability. It represented dysfunction and divorce and the impossible transition into a marriage that remains. It, it represented the Jordan was impossible. And he said, when they ask you, when your children ask you, what does that big stone represent? Why is it there? You say we serve the God of the impossible. And what was impossible for a previous generation became possible through God, not through any man. Nobody helped us but God. Nobody could figure it out but God because they're going to be curious. Oh, I feel the anointing. So that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. The hand of God. Do you have the mighty hand of God's favor on your life? Oh, I don't want to do life outside of his hand. Oh, I don't want to do anything outside of his hand. But when the mighty hand of God is on your life, they can't cancel you because they didn't call you. They can't stop you because they didn't start you. They can't thwart you because God Almighty loaded you up in the sling and released you. So that they may know that the mighty hand of God is upon your life forever. Let me just tell you, there's a man that his name was uh, Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for several days. Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. He came out of that tomb resurrected. Now Jesus died sometime later and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, but he left a stone for remembrance named Lazarus. And when Lazarus would go to Applebee's after church and he was sitting in the booth ordering his food, living his normal life, there was no normal for Lazarus anymore because what had been done. And so even him doing something normal wasn't normal for him because he was a stone for remembrance. Hey, I wish you guys would get this revelation. He would hear the chatter in the Applebee's around him. Some of you are like, they had Applebee's in ancient Israel? Well, how do you know? So all of a sudden, they, they'd be chattering, and, and, and they'd say, isn't that Lazarus? Wasn't he stinking? Wasn't his flesh rotting? Wasn't it a recreative miracle in his life? And he sat there as a stone for remembrance. Somebody say, I'm visible. See, the Lord it will keep you alive to remind people that he is a resurrector. God will keep you alive just to be a stone of remembrance, that when people talk about you, they'll say, wasn't he addicted to drugs? Wasn't she destitute and on her own? Didn't her husband leave? her without any money to pay her bills. Yes, but I'm still here because I'm a stone of remembrance. And when my kids ask me, what does it represent? I'll tell them, God did this thing alone. I'm here as a stone of remembrance. Just my existence. I can't even sit in an Applebee's without my life testim testifying to his power. There is no normal for Lazarus after a resurrection because everything is a stone of remembrance. Some of y'all, on your worst day, remember what I said when you're feeling down and depressed. You're still a, you're still a stone of remembrance. 
You couldn't die. You couldn't die. You couldn't give up. Even on your worst day, I'm a stone of remembrance. Somebody say, I'm visible. You're a child of God, but you are a memorial to others. You're a child to God, but you are a memorial to others. You are a living stone that reminds the others that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Number two, you're valued. Somebody say, I'm valued. Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm gonna take you back to the Old Testament, verse 13. It says, you were in Eden. Eden is the garden that God created, so we've gotta go back to the beginning. In the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. You had topaz, diamond, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and you crafted in gold were the settings and the engravings, and on that, you were created they were prepared. Now, let me just tell you this. I remember wanting to marry my wife before she was my wife so bad. And I was in college and I had to figure out how do I come up with money for a ring? Now, I can't tell you all the ways I came up with the money because I'm a saint now. <laughs> come on, Jules. When you look down at that ring, it's the pow- it represents forgiveness. I'll tell you what. <laughs> You know, I was only half saved back then. So, but I remember I didn't know anything about rings because I had been raised in the hood and we didn't have jewelry like that. We were not blinging. We're not the only person laughing to my mom right now. She's like, you're right. There was no bling up in our house. And so I remember learning about rings for the very first time to get a ring to propose to my wife. And I remember learning about diamonds and I remember this, this one jeweler said, a small diamond that's perfect is worth more than a large diamond that's imperfect. Now that'll preach. He said, because I said, well, why is this diamond more expensive than the other one, even though the other one's bigger? He said, because this one's perfect. Don't despise the days of small beginnings, but rejoice that it began small and perfect is better than big and imperfect. See, God will look at something and he'll see your purpose in this form and you'll be like, oh, it's so small. He says, yes, but it carries more value than the thing that you're comparing against because that thing is bigger but carries less value because of the imperfections. But I've got you going through a process and that process is breeding perfection and your value is greater although you feel smaller. Rearrange, God. Help them understand because everybody wants to be set. Very few will endure being cut and polished. (laughs) See, let me tell you the good news. When you find a diamond in nature, it has the same value, but it has to go through a process. I don't know if you've ever seen a diamond. It doesn't look like what it looks like on the ring because it's got to be cut, it's got to be polished, and it's got to be set. Now, the good news is the value never changed. See, the value was always there, but, but it wasn't ready to be displayed until it's been cut and it's been set and it's been polished. And so here's the thing. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you because you had value while you were in the rough, but he will take you through a process 
process that'll get you ready to be displayed. When you were still drunk, you were still high, you were still a cheater, while you were still a liar, while you were still stingy, while you were still depressed and suicidal, your value was still there, but he will cut you so that he can polish you and he can place you so he can display you. How many of you are ready to be cut? Stones in nature are rough. They must be cut. They must be polished. But God will bring you through a process that proves you were valuable before you were cut. <laughs> but he won't leave you in that condition. Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, mark my words. What the Lord's about to do in your life in the next 12 months is about to be so significant. You'll have to reintroduce yourself to people. You might as well take a picture right now of the state that you're in because it's going to serve as a reminder. The face you see in the mirror is going to be a different face a year from now. The, the bank account you log into is going to be a different bank account a year from now. I wish somebody heard me. Come on, God will change your circles to change your level. There's some people he'll cut out to make room for new people. There's some ways of thinking he'll cut out so that you can think like the kingdom. There's some things that he'll begin to remove from his life. When he comes to cut, just start thanking him because he's always making room for the real. Sometimes you got to cut the unnecessary because the value is hidden underneath the thing that needs to be cut off. Sometimes things can't be revealed because they're hidden under things that need to be cut off. And sometimes what's connected to the diamond has been connected for so long that the diamond thinks it's part of the diamond. Sometimes things have been connected to your life for so long. Sometimes people have been in your life for so long. Sometimes ways of thinking have been in, in your life so long that you think that is you. But God will take you through a process of separating your identity from the things that are not your identity. Separating you from the demons that are inside of you. Some people have been so full of perversion for so long they think they're a perfect. No, you're a saint with a spirit of perversion and it'll cut something off of your life to say that is not who you are. Some of you have been poor for so long that you think you're poor. No, you're the seed of Abraham. You're not poor. But he's got to cut something out of your life to separate your identity from the thing that was never you in the first place. Give God a year and see what he does. Come into the household of God. Unpack your clothes. Unpack your clothes. Unpack your clothes. Live up in this house until you realize that your dad is the king. Somebody just shout, I'm valuable. Come on, let low self-esteem and depression and anxiety hear you say it. Your value is not determined by what you do. It's determined by what Jesus did. Come on, slaves earn their value through work. Sons and daughters receive their value through birth. You've been born again. Oh, you've been born again. The first time you were born, you were born a slave and all your work earned your identity. But when you were born again, you came out of that womb like a tomb and you were alive and you said, oh, nothing I ever do will prove my worth because I was reborn royalty. This is the gospel. It's not bad people becoming good. It's slaves being reborn into royalty. Oh, Lord, this is about to mess you up. Fine 
precious stones representing the tribes of Israel. And now there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, just sons and daughters. You're valuable. Number three, you are victorious. Come on, somebody just say that, I'm victorious. Revelation chapter two, verse 17 says it like this. Who has an ear to ear? Who has an ear, who? Come on, New York City, do you have ears to hear? Long Island, Indiana, Revival Homes, who has ears? This is you. If you have ears, this is you. Hear what the Spirit says to you individually? No, 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 to the churches. Remember what I said? I was gonna prove to you that these three deep desires you have cannot be fulfilled by Facebook prophets. You need more than a personal prophecy. You need a personal church. The church that knows you. A church that sees you. You need more than a word from God. You need the word of God within your local church. You've gotta come in to say, I'm valued, I'm visible, and I'm victorious because it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's churches, plural. And I've gotta say that so that you understand that for those of you who say, well, I'm just a part of the church, you've nullified this entire scripture that says church is plural. It doesn't say, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It says to the churches. That means there's Movement Church in New York City. There's V1 Church. There's Center Point Church down the street. Come on, somebody. There's, there's City Point down the street in Indiana. It says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if you've made it through this entire four-part series thinking that you can be a part of the church but not a church, you still don't know the Bible. Who's your pastor? Who's your church? Because the rest of this will be fulfilled if you lock it in. To the one who conquers. Somebody say, I'm going to conquer. This is talking about you. I will give some of the hidden manna you know what that means? Revelation understanding. I'm gonna give hidden manna, bread that when you take this hidden bread, you're gonna know something that other people didn't get to. You're gonna consume some revelation they didn't get to consume. It's hidden manna. You are gonna receive hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. That's you. If you can endure, if you can stay in the household of God, if you can plant yourself in the house of God, in the local church and let your roots, and you can survive every season of life, there's gonna come a designated point where you receive a white stone. Many of you don't even know this. You've never read it in scripture. A pastor has never preached the deep things to you, but you will receive a white stone, and on that white stone will be your true name. Not the name your father gave you, not the name your mother gave you, but the name your heavenly father gave you. Did you know that you have a different name? You have a name that only he knows and he has for you. Names have great significance. Names carry great, when you name a child, you're thinking about what is the significance of this name. Can I tell you that there is going to be a white stone that is handed to those who conquer, those who endure to the end, and then they will look on that white stone and they will read their real name for the very first time. How incredible is that? 
In this life, I was named after my father, Mike Signorelli Sr. And on some days I've rude, I've rude the day that I was, you know, hey, rude the day that I was named after my dad because he was a murderer and he committed all these things and he died prematurely, didn't leave me a legacy. But there's gonna be this moment where I've endured and the Lord's gonna allow me to receive this white stone and I'm gonna look and he's gonna say, in, in, when you were on planet earth, you were named Mike Signorelli Sr., but you were always mine, son. And I have another name for you, a name that my legacy, come on somebody, I, the legacy of the cross secured for you. I've got another name. This name is deeper. Oh, see, and that's what God wants you to understand. There's a name deeper than the name that you have right now. Written on white stone, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, I tell you, you're Peter. See how he's giving identity. They call you Simon, but I call you a fragment of the rock. He, God is in the business of giving identity. You are victorious. I will build my church on you and not even the gates of hell will prevail. Psalm chapter 118, verse 22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone. What kind of stone? A tested stone. Oh, he's bringing you through. You're, you're going to become like him. A precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Somebody say, I'm victorious. I want to give you a revelation that the Holy Spirit gave me. I've never heard a preacher preach on this before. I, this is something that I, I truly believe is for our house. I believe this is to help you because a, a rock, a stone represents stability. It represents consistency. A stone represents legacy. The reason why God with his finger wrote the law on the tablets of stone was that those tablets were supposed to last. See, paper and these different things that we have, sometimes mildews and rods, there's something about permanence. Maybe some of you feel like all your life accomplishments just, they just whittle away. They, they, just, they, they just seem to flutter away. But there's something about stone that represents legacy, represents consistency, represents being immovable. It represents generational, generational. And I was thinking about this because King David knew what it was like to be invisible and overlooked. He knew what it was like to feel like he had no legacy. As a matter of fact, as a young shepherd boy, he would have been off in the fields being so faithful to his father's sheep. And when the prophet came to anoint somebody as the next king of Israel, he was so invisible to his family. He was so, um, there, there, he, had, he carried so little value to his siblings that they didn't even think to go grab him. God had to give a prophetic word to Samuel to say there's someone else in the back because he was so invisible and that he carried so little value in his own family even though he was faithful that he was ignored. How many of you feel like David? You've been trying your best, you've been faithful, you've been consistent. But see, David, because he knew what it was like to be rejected, because he knew what it was like to be overlooked, he had the eyes to see the things that other people wouldn't see. And in the story, and you all know it, but I'm gonna give you fresh revelation of it. All of a sudden, there's this giant named Goliath who's a Philistine. The Philistines were a rival army to Israel. 
and they tried to occupy Israel's land. So there was a there was a contending that was happening over territory. How many of you believe that it's our obligation to take territory as the people of God? That we should have dominion over the regions that we have. I didn't just get called to pastor a, a church. I'm called to pastor a city. You're called to have dominion in your city. And so this rival army, the Philistines, they're coming for territory. And there's this big one called Goliath. And he's taunting day and night. He's hurling insults. He's speaking out against God. He's speaking out against their God. And now listen, military strategists, military geniuses have no idea how to conquer this giant. And every single time that they would walk to the battlefield every day as Goliath was taunting, they would step right over their answer. The rocks, the stones, Nobody knew how to conquer this giant, and they were stepping on the answer the whole time. But there was a shepherd boy named David who had eyes to see. And because the stones were visible, he understood the stones are valuable. Because that one stone, I could kill a lion or a bear, surely I'll kill this uncircumcised Philistine. So the Bible says he takes five smooth stones from the brook, he sees them, they carry value, he puts them in his pouch, he goes up to meet that giant, and he loads one stone, and one was enough, because it was a prophetic type and shadow for Jesus Christ. It was the stone that the Pharisees and Sadducees overlooked. It was the stone that they didn't see any value for, but there was a giant called sin, death, hell, and the grave that nobody knew how to conquer, but see, somebody saw that he was visible and valuable. Sometimes it's the prostitutes who say, I might be in sin, but I'm so desperate. I know that that is more than a false teacher. That is the Messiah Jesus. And I'm willing to step in the direction of the Savior. And Jesus was loaded up in that sling. And it said that he conquered death, just one death, hell, and the grave was conquered for you. Somebody's gotta get a revelation that the thing that they ignored, the thing that they stepped over, see some of your friends, I don't know what's gonna stop my depression. There's a stone that you keep stumbling over named Jesus. If you'll pick up that stone, you can conquer depression. Some of you in this room right now, you've been overlooked. You've been overlooked by other people. But I'm telling you, first Jesus was that stone, but now you are that stone. Let me show you, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so guess what? There's another, there's living stones. Somebody shout, I'm a living stone stone now all of a sudden some people have stumbled over you some people have ignored you some people don't see your value but God's getting ready to pick you up he's about ready to pick you up and he's about to hurl you into drug addiction he's about to hurl you into broken marriages he's gonna have you take out the giants that nobody else can take out because you're gonna be just like your father Jesus come on do I have five people who will jump to their feet right now and just shout an amen if they believe that they're a living stone. Do I got 10 people in New York City who will jump to their feet right now if they say, I'm getting ready to be loaded up as a living stone. I'm getting ready to be hurled into darkness. I'm getting ready to take out the giants of my generation that nobody can take out. I'm a living stone. Come on, is there five people that'll shout to God if you're a living stone? 
Come on, stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Everybody, stay on your feet. David gathered five smooth stones from a brook. Military geniuses did not know why, because the wisdom of God is higher than the wisdom of man. The knowledge of God. Some people are looking at you, why would God use them? Well, you don't understand how God works. Some people are looking at your life, who are they to be preaching? Who are they to be singing? Who are they to be writing books? Who are they to be launching businesses? God will take the foolish things of the world. He'll take a stone out of the brook and he'll bring a giant down with a stone. He didn't use a catapult. He didn't use a archers and arrows. He used the foolish thing of the world and it just took one. Baby, God takes great pleasure in using living stones to take giants out. Is there anybody here who believes you're one of those living stones. Somebody shout, I am victorious. Now I want to give you this last thing as we come to a close. Visible, valuable, victorious. But there's one stop in between valuable and victorious that I need to make you aware of, and it's great sacrifice. Visible, valuable, great sacrifice, victorious. David said, I'm willing to sacrifice my life. Saul, I don't even want your armor. I'm not gonna go face this giant through your fear. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to give everything to Israel. There is a great sacrifice. Matter of fact, David said, I will not even offer God that which costs me nothing. So here's what God's asking of you. Great sacrifice great sacrifice. In the early church, there's a man named Stephen who actually was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as the early church was just getting started. He was leading people to Jesus, and it said they took stones. Oh, and they begin to throw stones at Stephen, and he was being murdered as these stones were hitting his head. The Bible gives an account in the book of Acts that he's looking up, and he starts to have this open vision, and he says, I see heaven opening, and I mean, he's getting hit by rocks as he's sacrificing his life, and they're throwing stones at him, and he says, I see heaven, I see Jesus resurrected in power, and, he be, and then he releases. So even for the church, for you to be here today, the apostles had to die because it was, I'm visible to God. I'm valuable to God. I will make a great sacrifice and then many will have victory. Do you get it now? I've just communicated the whole kingdom to you. So if you want victory without sacrifice, it'll never happen. Stephen had to do it. Now, can you imagine the moment when we all get our white stone and the same thing that was used to kill Stephen is the thing that Jesus gives him to reveal Stephen's true name. <laughs> this is the last thing I saw as I gave my life for the kingdom. And then in a moment, a white stone is given and I get to see my true name. What a deep and profound revelation. God says, I never let any sacrifice go unnoticed. I never ransom, I never will leave it without ransoming it back to myself. You know, there's this organization called Saturate that's led by friends that Julie and I called Jesse and Parker Green. And they have such a heart for revival. They go all over the country doing revivals. And specifically, they felt that they needed to be in New York City for a revival. 
they came out, we spent entire, the entire week just going into parks and ministering to people and making videos and just preaching the gospel all over. And you know, two nights ago was like the last night of the conference and it was in Midtown Manhattan, yeah, about Midtown Manhattan. And all of a sudden I see Jesse, her and her husband lead this organization. I see her run to her husband, Parker, and she's just weeping uncontrollably. And to be honest with you, as a pastor, I looked at her and I thought to myself, man, maybe somebody just called her or texted her to say that one of her family members died or, I mean, it, she was crying that hard, like, like as if a family member died. Then I thought, well, maybe she's just under a lot of pressure, just the internal stuff we deal with as people. And she's holding her husband and she's crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, man, do I step in? This is intense. Well, then all of a sudden, it transitions and she goes up there to do her part of the conference and she goes Mike Signorelli will you come forward and she brought me and another pastor from New York City forward and had us sit on the stairs and she was like something happened to me in worship something profound she said now watch what God is doing in New York City is visible and it carries so much value that I feel that he asked me to make a huge sacrifice so that it can be victorious. And she said, we, our family has a $30,000 boat. And this is the boat that we come back from hard tours of revival, you know, doing revival and evangelism. And we get on this boat, it's a $30,000 boat. And we go and we, we get on that boat, we make family memories and we all come together and we, we do all these things. And she's like, the Lord spoke to me and said, if you see what I'm doing, if you believe that it's the most valuable thing, sell your boat, take that $30,000 and bring you and your team back to New York City as many times as you can for $30,000 and then take all of those lost souls that you won for me and send them in, into V1 Church. Now she's telling that to me and this other pastor that she wants to fill our churches with all of the lost and scattered sheep that they're gathering in New York City. And, that, and the reason why she was crying wasn't because a family member died. It's because she broke up with herself. And she said, God, the memories with my family on that boat are not more valuable than the memories that we will make with your children in New York City, leading them to you. What a sacred, it was one of the holiest things I've ever witnessed in my life. And she said, I'm gonna send all these people to V1 Church because we've gotta fill the Father's house. There's $30,000 boat, all the memories, all the family memories, it means nothing. So I wanna tell you this right now, and I'm gonna need Pastor Daniel Santisa's help with this ministry moment. I'm gonna need Pastor Eddie Perez's ministry. I'm going to need Julie. You're there in Indiana. I'm going to need you in a few moments to transition this because I need you guys at each location to, to finish this moment that the Lord's making. But, but before we transition, just listen. Everybody look at me. There's going to come a moment where your feet come up on a bed. And this will be the last bed that you ever lay down in. It might be a hospital bed. It might be your bed. It might be a gurney from an ambulance. But every single one of us, our feet will be brought up on our last bed. No, I'm not just trying to be morbid. I want to bring you to the place where you understand the kingdom.
in that moment where your feet go up for the last time, and you're gonna probably remember this sermon because I'm speaking in spirit right now. When your feet go up for that last time and you know my feet will never come down off this bed, my feet will never touch the ground ever again, not with this body. You are not gonna be thinking about your $30,000 boat. You will not be thinking about your $400,000 house. You will not be thinking about your personal retirement funds. You, it will be distributed among your family. Those things will be passed on. But the thing you'll be thinking is I'm moments away from facing my maker and it's heaven or hell. I'm moments, I'm moments away. Come on, hear me, New York City. Hear me, Long Island. Hear me, Indiana. Come on, Revival Homes. And you're gonna be laying in that bed. And if you have enough consciousness to muster up these thoughts, you'll be thinking, it's over. There is no tomorrow. I'm about to see unveiled what I could only see by faith in this life. And the thing you're gonna be asking yourself is was I consumed with souls? Because souls are the only thing that remains. Every house will rot. All currency will change. It had the face of a Roman Empire on it, uh, uh, emperor on it 2,000 years ago. It has the face of presidents on it now, but it will all be meaningless. The only thing that you'll be concerned about is I am about to face the master. What account will I give him? Am I gonna receive a white stone? Am I gonna receive, or was I a son or a daughter of the devil because I didn't do the commands of Jesus? And when I was in that building, I was in, we were in a building that was from the 1700s. It was actually the, build, the church we were in in New York City predated America. The building, the church was built before the United States was established. And I believe that was a prophetic symbol to represent what is this really about? It's about the eternal. And when Jesse and Parker said, we're selling our $30,000 boat, we're gonna go evangelize and we're gonna fill V1 Church, there was something, I said, when she lays down, when her feet go up on that bed for the very last time, she's gonna say, God, I'm dying empty. There's no more books in me. There's no more sermons in me. There's nothing left to give, God. I gave it all to you. I'm dying empty. Your goal is to die empty. Your goal is to die empty. Say, God, there's nothing left to preach. There's nothing left. I've told everybody about Jesus. I was fearless at the job because there are no doctors and nurses. There are no teachers in heaven. There's only sons and daughters. And so I was fearless for you, God. And now because I didn't fear them, I don't have to fear you because I publicly proclaimed you. You're about to publicly proclaim me in front of everybody. Visible, valued, victorious.